Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, my very special guest is poet Aaron Carlisle. Aaron is the author of the new book, Magnolia Canopy Otherworld. Aaron, are you with me? I am. Hi. Hello. How are you tonight? I'm doing really good. How are you? Great. I'm quite well. Thank you so much, okay. and thank you for joining thank me. You. My very first question to you, what is poetry? Wow. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I thought of I've I've been thinking about this and I've thought about this probably I mean since I was a little girl because that's I've discovered poetry in some form in different ways, you know, in elementary school, um, and felt connected to it. I know it when I read it. I know how it makes me feel, it makes me feel connected, it makes me feel understood. Um it but I don't, you know, I think there are probably smarter people than me who have theorized about it, maybe written about it. But to me, it's just, it's communication. It's communication of that deep inner self. Um, and and that can be a connection to, you know, other people through, you know, politics, things like that. But it's that deep inner connection. Um, that's what I think. That's what I think of when I think of poetry and that's sort of how I, you know, when I found it, when I was a little girl, it's like, Oh, you know, I don't know what this means, but I feel like this person's trying to tell me something like this is this person reaching out to me and trying to maybe not relate is not the right word, but um, engage me in some way. So for me, I think it, you know, maybe to be broad, it's communication. All right. So yeah. <laughs> a slightly a slightly different question is why is it important? Why is poetry important to you? I think, right, to me and then to, I, I think poetry should be important to other people. But for me, um, it's how I learn to engage with the world. It's how I have spoken to other people and how I have taken in other people's messages. So I think that poetry is important because it's a way to engage either politically, emotionally, um, sexually, all of the things that you can possibly think of to connect with somebody. Poetry can do that um, just in its condensed, you know, language. So I don't know if I'm answering that. You know, yes. but for yes, that, it's perfect, it's, again, perfect, it goes back answer. to that communication, just like really right. connecting with other people. Very nice, very nice. As <laughs> you think about your body of work, what are some of the predominant themes? <clears throat> so, for my book, Magnolia Canopy Otherworld, and then I have a little chat book too called You Spit Hills in My Body. Um, I was sort of thinking, and I actually have like a box of my old like teenage poetry too, which is bad, but very cute to read. Um, I think I was sort of grappling with the same things then. So it's like I'm 38, almost 39 now. And so my 16 year old self was trying to like figure the same things out, but it's like, um, you know, I grew up really poor in the South, um, partially in Alabama and partially in Kentucky. And I'm sort of thinking about how poverty informs girlhood, how it informs your body, how, um, you know, things like that can tear a family apart, too. My parents, uh, unfortunately, um, my dad became, had a heart attack when he was 36 years old and subsequently became addicted to um, opioids. You know, that's sort of like the early 90s, mid 90s, when they were kind of giving those out a little more easily than they are now. Um, and there's lots of documentaries about that. So you could, people want to be informed about it. Um, and so, you know, it's sort of 
it's a lot about um so uh, in girlhood place poverty but also drug use and how that has can tear apart a family and how that informs um adolescence it changes you and your parents the people who are supposed to take care of you you know go through a tragedy in and of for of themselves you know um and no blame on their part or anything like that. It just is yes. what it is, you know. Yes. So those are things yes. I've been working with, you know, maybe since I was 16 years old, and it sort of came to fruition with this book, Magnolia Can't Be Otherworld. So I guess it's like 20, 30 years in the making. <laughs> All right. Very nice. Very nice. And the topics that you cover are important to cover, especially yeah. poverty how poverty affects girlhood. That that sounds fascinating to me, how that affects girlhood. Very, very nice. Please share a poem for us, please. Sure. <clears throat> okay, so this this is the first poem in the collection. It's called Sunday Drive. Um, it's kind of inspired, it is inspired by uh, driving to my grandma's house in the winter. Um, and if you drive out to, so I was born in Columbus, Georgia, um, and I lived in a little town called Phoenix City, Alabama, and my grandma lived in this very, very tiny town called Pittsview. So if you drive from Phoenix City out to Pittsview, it's just like, I mean, there's still nothing there. When my dad passed away, my brother and I drove out there to kind of see what it looks like, and it still looks the same. (laughs) Um, Mm. But there's just pine trees and the side of the road, and, you know, I just, maybe I was slightly morbid as a kid and maybe now even too. So I would think, you know, what's in the woods or like, you know, think about like, I don't know, maybe too much true crime stuff too. So that's what this is about. Sunday drive. We drive in cold weather, three in the front seat. Mama lays a hand on my chest, a sudden stop. We pass over a frozen bridge. And if I rise in my seat, I can see down to the water, to the ice where I know girls slip under and get fished out, trash stuck on skirts. I know girls wait there, but daddy drives fast and I see ditches along the side of the road and dogs dead in winter, dressed in leaves. Their paws look like hands. They're women in the blur of his driving, dancing like wet, tangled hair. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's very powerful, Erin. <laughs> nice way to start a collection. <laughs> like, oh, man, <laughs> this is going to be something. Well, why did you put that particular poem first? Um, so at first, so the first two poems, I'm thinking this poem right here, Sunday Drive, sort of introduces you to this family unit. And it introduces you to the world of what I'm thinking of as the Magnolia Canopy, other world, sort of this, like, wilderness, this forest, or the woods that isn't, you know, it's not ideal, and especially isn't ideal for women um, and girls. And I sort of wanted it to be this, like, introduction to both that family unit, the danger, and um, and, the, and the other themes, the ghostly otherworldness. Um, of my imagined self, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do you sit and think through every word of every stanza, or do you write freely and allow the words to flow? That's a good question. Um, I think at first, when I have an idea or something is bubbling up, you know, it'll be like um, like a feeling or something. Like I know, you know, I've watched a movie or I read something or whatever, and I want to do something about that, you know, or I want it to be me, but that, but me. And I'll sit down and just let it come out. So it'll be free. Okay. Um, but then, you know, I'm not like super prolific. Like I can't just sit down all the time and, and do it. Something like that will, I'll, it'll be free at first and then it'll take months to be the thing that it's supposed to be. So then I am micromanaged. You know, I'm like, oh, this word needs to go and it needs to be a different word, you know, and I'm like, 
oh, let's change it to couplets or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, that comes later, but at first it's, it's definitely free. Like what is coming out of my head just comes out. You know, you spoke earlier about being a young girl and understanding poetry or listening to poetry. Was there an early experience, one that you can specifically state that helped you learn that poetic language had power? Anything yeah. comes to mind? Yeah, so my mom, so we grew up poor, but my mom, she liked to take us to the library. Um, she, it, it was just, she loved to read. She liked to read like romance novels, like the bodice ripping stuff, but also, but she was really, but she was really interested in like the historical romance because she liked to learn about stuff. So she was always like telling me things and taking me to the library and stuff like that. So that sort of was this bridge. And then I would go off on my own and try to find things. So when I was little, it was like, you know, Dr. Seuss or whatever, like that kind of stuff. And then when I got maybe 10 or 11, I would go to the adult part of the library, like the big people section, and kind of roam around. And I found a poetry section. Now, the poetry section in Phoenix City, Alabama was very little, (laughs) And it was like, okay. you know, the, the, the classics, things like that. Um, but I did find Emily Dickinson. This is probably the same story for a lot of people, but I didn't know what she was saying. I had no idea what any of it was about. I'm a 10-year-old girl, you know. But mm-hmm. it, there's something about her work that just, it just reached out through, you know, the years or my you know, circumstance or whatever it was and just like touched me and it was a puzzle. And I checked the book out and I would try it and it would make me angry because I didn't know what was happening, but I knew it was something that, you know, that I, that I needed to decipher. And so that was sort of the first, I don't know, like my first experience with poetry, my first experience with like that kind of, that way of writing beyond you know, novels and things like that. Um, all right. And, yeah, so, and I still feel like I don't really 100% know all the time what she's talking about, but, um, you know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Share another poll. Share another poll. Sure. Okay. Um, this one, so I wanted, so I read the first one, Sunday Drive, and then I wanted to read the second one in the collection, so my idea is that the first one kind of introduces you to that family unit, gets you into that other world. And this second one sort of like ha- has more of a footing in that other world um, of women or the afterlife of women or um, the Magnolia Canopy other world, that place where women go um, in my imagination. And it's kind of, you know, this song, the Peggy Lee song, um, Is That All There Is? Yes. Kind of like, it was inspired by that, but I'm a 90s teenager, so it was the PJ Harvey version of that song. So, um, Can't Stop Burning a Witch. We set a girl to burn, and in the ruin of her body, we stamp our feet, cake the mud and ash. We set her to burn, and we've been taught to hold our tongues, to kill that ancient stone pit in our stomachs. The mother yelled, she is not a witch, as her body was rolled through the center of town. And we thought, are we also dead? The other girls met hand to hand as she lit up the night. And we thought, is this all? Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> as you think about your writing process, where do you write? Is there a specific place that you go? Is it anywhere? <clears throat> On the road, on the bicycle, where do you write? Oh, Lord, I cannot go anywhere. I I have always really loved to hang out in my bedroom. Okay. I just love being in my bedroom. Um, my husband will take up the living room, and I'll just be in there with all my books <laughs> spread over the, all over the bed, doing my own thing. So, And that's, that is really my process. It's just, like, chilling out on my bed, propping myself up. I have um, tons and tons of books or, like, reference things around me and I can't I love being in there but I also have a hard time sitting still so I have to like do a lot of things 
while I'm doing, while I'm writing. I I really wish I could be someone that could just sit down and like pull it all out, but I have to like dip in, dip out, dip in, dip out. Um, But yeah, I love to be in my bedroom with my cat next to me with all of my stuff around me. What do you view as being the most difficult part of the artistic process? You've written a book, you've written a chat book, you've been published. What's the most difficult part of the artistic process? Hmm. I think the most difficult part for me is knowing when something is finished or knowing when, like that self, self-doubt, self I guess, or knowing if something is, in quotations, good um, or good enough or will reach someone or will move someone. I I don't, you know, when you get so close to something, you, it sort of turns into like gibberish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most difficult part is like letting it breathe and coming back to it sometimes works, but sometimes it's really, there's like, oh, that's, you know, it's still not good. No one's going to like this. And why would anyone want to read about my childhood? You know what I mean? Like that kind of like self-doubt and, you know, not knowing when, not knowing when. (laughs) Not knowing when. What do you think is the easiest part of the process? Um. The easiest part would be when when I'm just letting it come out, like the first little bit, you know, when I'm, okay. I have that idea and it's like, there's no pressure and, and that it's self-pressure. No one's pressuring me. People have liked it or they don't like it. It's not like life ending, you know what I mean? But it's in yes. your brain. Sometimes it can be, I don't know. Cause it's, it's, who you are and you're showing someone that and it's scary um so when that that first part when i'm just like letting it when it's free (laughs) when it's free but then you start editing and revising and it becomes a poem yes Yes. it's a thing it's a living thing you know that is my next question aaron that's my next question, and then we're going to take a break. This is my next question. Okay. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? I I see gosh, I, I am not a spiritual person or anything like that. And so it's going to sound really silly, but I do like, I will call my book. She, <laughs> and it sounds really okay. silly, but I do, I feel like they are, you know, they are, a, it's okay for someone to find themselves in it. It is a living document that I think I know what I put into it, but I probably don't know all of what's there. You know what I mean? Um, yes. And so I, I see it in that way, and I'm fine with that. There's sometimes people will say things to me that I'm like, sure, I meant that totally because it sounds really smart, you know. <laughs> but it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? but um, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly. Yes, but you are. You are. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I see it as a living thing. That's like, you know, it's about that again. It goes back to connection. And yeah. like communication and, mm-hmm. you know, you could say something to somebody and they could totally interpret it a different way, but that's okay. You know, yes. and I'm, I'm fine I with that. that as long yes, as they don't that. interpret it in a terrible way that I, you know, all right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's share, share one more form before we take a quick break. Okay. Um, this one is called the slumber party. So a few of the poems in this book are inspired by girls I grew up with, um, girls I went to high school with. And this is inspired by one special girl um, who I've well, forever loved, but the slumber party. <clears throat> I heard she went and died into another girl in a house near a swamp where girls are caught face, face down, muck deep and motherless. She told me there were other girls sitting at a kitchen table with empty plates in front of them and more girls in the bathroom draped over the shower, wet. She asked what man made their bodies into tables 
arms and legs bent backward, a coffee cup on the sternum. She didn't know she would be used up, but she told me she tiptoed through the rooms, tracing her name on the walls just in case. My girl lost herself, a blonde hair flood on the floor, and she came back to me years later, wound tight, a coil, said, why me? Thank you. Wow. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Why that fascinates you so? 
Um, so the other world, it's in my work, um, is definitely, gosh, and again, I said earlier in my, in this interview that I'm not really a spiritual person. I'm not a person who, yes. you know, um, thinks about things in the world in that way. Sorry, my cat like knocked a bunch of stuff over, so I'm trying to reorganize. Oh my gosh. Two seconds. <laughs> this is like doing stuff in a in your house gets you. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Anyway, so the other world is basically um so I'm not a spiritual person, but I definitely grew up reading, you know, mythology or you know, even went to church with my grandma and things like that and have thought about, you know, what might happen after I die. And I think about, like, is this all there is to go back to Peggy mm. Lee? And Peggy Lee. that's sort of what <laughs> Peggy Lee, <laughs> PJ Harvey, <laughs> whichever yeah. one. Um, and I think about it. You know, it's just sort of what's through the veils. Are there any veils? And especially when my father died, he died in 2019 um, of an overdose. And that really sent me reeling um, quite a bit as far as, like, my spiritual beliefs, my poetry, my life, my career, anything. It was just totally all geared towards thinking about where, how can I talk to him, you know? How can I mm-hmm. reach through? Um, so I don't know. But even though I'm not a spiritual person, it's hard for me to think about things in that way. I want so badly for there to be something, and 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 that's where that comes from. Like, yeah, I'm now, sorry about my cat point. there. She's <laughs> 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 such a mess, you guys. <laughs> now your poetry is, is 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 very emotional. I mean, you cannot yes. when you hear it, 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 it's, it, its power is just so it's almost in your face in a sense. Do you think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um, I think that's a good question. I I would hesitate to say you can't be a poet. Because if you want to be a poet, I want you to be a poet. Mm-hmm. But I think that most people feel strong emotions, so I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I think that yes. we all tackle, as poets, we tackle different things. Like someone mm-hmm. isn't, you know, not although another poet's not going to write about their mom and dad, you know, or their childhood or, you know, <clears throat> made up other world of dead women, you know what I mean? But it's like but they may be feeling it strongly in a different way and it comes out in a different way. So I I don't know how to answer that question because I feel like if – I feel like I want to say no, you can't be because you have to feel and you have to bleed for the poetry or whatever, but you don't, I guess. You, we all do it in our different ways. Um, and even if it's not as, like, as dark as maybe the stuff in Magnolia Canopy Otherworld can tend to be, um, doesn't mean it's not emotional. Mm. So, yeah, mm. I took that one in a circle. I'm not sure if I answered it. <laughs> That's okay. Yes, that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, please, please share another poem. I, I enjoy sure. hearing you read. Okay. Um, this one. <clears throat> let me take a sip of water. This one is called uh, "Girl and Wall," and I wrote it for. Francesca Woodman, who was a photographer in the late 1970s, um, committed suicide. She, there's, her whole story is wonderful and interesting and um, compelling, so people want to look it up. Her name was Francesca Woodman. But I was just thinking about I had uh, ended a relationship with another person after 12 years, um, and I found her work and it just spoke to me, you know, I was in my thirties and this, this girl that, or woman who was in her late teens, early twenties when she did her work. And I'm thinking about, you know, how she went before me and I'm still here 
trying to think about the same thing she was thinking about, like about my body and about my sexuality and about relationships and about the world, you know. So this is for her. <clears throat> and for me. <laughs> okay. Girl, dirt, and wool. Your body is a scratched photograph, and I want to live like you do in front of a ruined wall, buttons on my skirt begging to be opened. You hold a jewel behind your back, palmed in your hand, and there are so many white ash trees behind you. I want to be in your photo. I want to put a mirror under my naked body and a finger in my mouth. I see myself like you on the floor, stretch marked, my dirty feet over yours. The tiles under your body are old. You are not. You are only 19, living in Italy. When I was 19, I lived with a man, did his dishes, and I have never been to Italy. You sit with your hands over your mouth, back straight, head down. The floor under you is felled, a honeycomb, and I would do your dishes. Francesca, now your head is on the floor, your feet are shelved inside a cabinet, and there's no room for your arms. If you were married, this is where you would put your china, says the stuffed raccoon at your ear. I hear you whisper to the cabinet, a curio is only for body curiosities. You cannot close the cabinet and there isn't room for me inside. Look, three women who are also you hide behind mirrors, their own reflection. Am I also there in the blur of their bodies or am I in the mold on the walls? What it comes down to is your dull stare at your birth certificate. Am I there in your gaze? I hover over the little fish in your bathtub. And there's a light coming in the windows. In all that sparkling doom, and you're back to the camera, did you expect me to pick up your book? I try to figure the blurs of your long exposure and your suicide and how I came after you, still a woman, and in your shadow, I try to master my body. That's it. Wow. It's beautiful. The imagery. So rich. Thank you. Thank you. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? 100%, yes. Tell me more. Tell I, me more. I, I used to – before I knew about art or anything like that or, or knew, you know, just growing up in the South without – no, there wasn't, I didn't have the internet when I was, you know, I didn't really know what I was talking about, but I would say I'm an artist. Um, so I think that I came out knowing for sure I was an artist. And then poetry came when I found it at the library. And I then, you know, went to school and found whatever kind of poetry they had there. It's probably still like classic stuff and <clears throat> things like that. I knew that I wanted to do it. And I wrote I, I wrote this little book when I was eight and I can't remember the name mm. of it. I have it somewhere it's like, you know, it's, it's not a real book. I mean, it's made out of like cardboard and stuff like that. Um, and one of my teachers wrote a little note on the front and I still have the little note. And it was like, you know, I can't wait, wait to read one of your books someday. These are so compelling or something like that. And I'm like eight years old and I don't know. It was just so, it felt, it felt, you know, right. So yeah, I think I, I don't think it's always easy in the world to like tell people you're a poet though, because yes, so true. Ca capitalism <laughs> and all yes. of those things, it's like we're meant to be producing products. And I do, I mean, I have a book, but it's not the same thing as like building a machine game machine or I don't know, whatever people buy. But, um, but I, I've recently just started doing it. What do you do? Oh, well, I'm a poet. <laughs> it's like I just let it drop and see what happens. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, a poet. Uh, what do you do for money? Oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, because you're right. It could go either way. Either like enthused or like what is that? Right. Exactly. And it's all, it's it's a mixed bag. And, you know, but people are general. They like want to ask questions about it and get to know what what I mean by that. So. Or, you know, look at me sideways, and that's fine, too. Um, but I've been owning it lately, you know. Like, this is it, All you know. Right. I am. This is who I am. Well, how does it feel to own it? 
How does that make you feel? Anxious. Because, <laughs> you Anxious. know, I mean, I, well, because I don't know, you know, because I don't, I feel like sometimes they might not think it's a real thing, you know, and like, okay. I get I get nervous about like how how people perceive me, I guess, and I mean, I'm human, you know, and I want people to like me or understand me if they don't like me. Um, and so it can be really scary to say, you know, this is who I am and to own it. But it is, it is liberating, too, because it's like, well, I mean, this is what I am. I can't really change it, you know. <laughs> my well, in my, mind, in my mind, you are a brilliant, powerful poet Thank whose you. future is exceptionally bright. <laughs> Thank you. I really, really like your work because it's extremely accessible, and it's. And as I said earlier, to me, it's in your face. I mean, it's, it's as if you've stripped away the. It's just so real to me. It Thank really, you. I really like it. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for owning yeah. it. Thank you. <laughs> You know, all poets have several words that they use over and over and over again in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use, you think? Okay. I know for sure woods or the woods. It goes back to the land that I grew up in and when I was a small child in Alabama. I know this for sure. I, I did, like... You know those like um, word clouds that people were doing a long time ago, like uh, for yes, like on Facebook and things like that. I did that yes. for my um, my MFA thesis, and it came back. It was like woods and um, <laughs> was another oh women and dark or ghost or like you know things like that. And that's fair. It's totally fair. Mm-hmm. But I think for yeah woods um, is for sure. Dank. I use a lot. Um, pine tree. Um, there's a lot that's connected to the land and the woods down um, in Alabama. Mm. Please share another poem. Sure. So this one, um, this one is called Doctor Shopping Ghost Story, and it is about the opioid crisis. Um, <clears throat> Doctor Shopping Ghost Story. The doctors I see are benevolent spirits filling my prescriptions, orange bottles awaiting blessing for a doctor to dip a pen and anoint the paper. I hand one doctor my worry, another, I hand one doctor my pain, another my worry. I fill out the paperwork, present it to their open arms. The doctors watch me shiver. They write their diagnosis on my spine whisper me back into being. Give me what I need, priest, or I will seek until I become a Percocet ghost, haunting a body, holes for eyes, a sheet soaked in oxycotton, and you can never cut me off. In the beginning, it was not about becoming a ghost, a transparent pill casing, empty, longing. In the beginning, I was flat on my back, looking up at the stars. Yeah, so that's so that's sort of my, you know, it's sort of like about how when, you know, you get hurt or something like major happens to you, you know, it's not like you set out to do certain things. And I'm not like demonizing, you know, doctors and, and things like that. There was a lot going on that started the opioid crisis, you know, and there's a lot of moving yes. parts and a lot of people's hands. Um, but, you know, it sort of just happens, and you become this thing. And I, I watched my dad, yeah. you know, and my mom, too. And it, it's really painful to see somebody who has so much potential, like, you know, knocked down in the prime of their life. So, And I'm 30, right. almost 39 now. My dad had a heart attack when he was 36. I mean, it's, I know now that was so young, you know. Yes, it's young. So. <laughs> that is young. That is young. You know, that this line of, of conversation right now is so important because there's so many things that happen to people in their lives. There's so much happening in the world as we live in. I mean, the pandemic, opioid crisis, you name it, you name it, you name it, yeah. you name it. What do you view as being the role of a poet 
modern day society? Um, I think that I don't know that I would say anyone has an obligation to do anything. And I, I would, I mean, maybe I do mean they have an obligation, but I wouldn't know how to pressure somebody to do something. But I think that somebody, if you're someone who uses words, it, it could be very helpful for you to use those words to help other people. So I don't know what that looks like. If that's a someone writing political work and you're on the mainstream and you are working on the boots on the ground kind of stuff, that is one way. Another way is a quieter way where you're reaching maybe a handful of people and you're changing their hearts or you're introducing them to things they didn't know about. Um, that's another way, you know, and I, I do think that it's important to use your work and your gifts to better the world and to help people. Um, and it can look in, it can look in different ways, you know, loud and, and mm-hmm. quiet. All right. Very nice. Nicely stated. Please share another poem. Sure. Let's see. So, um, so the third section of the book sort of gets into the ghostly other world. Um, and this one's called The In-Between. And it's kind of a fever dream mixture of the movie Poltergeist, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes. Um, I think it's a very deep movie. And I can I will sit down with anyone and tell them all the symbols and everything. Anyways, but <laughs> um, Poltergeist. <laughs> and the time my grandma's house, well, there was like a big uh, rainstorm and hail and stuff like that in Kentucky and the late 90s and where we were living. And her backyard was flooded all the way up. And it came into her house and like uh, firemen had to get her out with a canoe. And I have no idea how these two things mixed up in my head, but they have mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, and I just had to write a poem. <clears throat> And this sort of kicks off that third section. The in-between. Here is a story. My mother saves me from the electric pool of the kitchen. She travels to the other side to find me in pink, asleep, and followed by the dead. She carries me home, teaches me how to dial a psychic phone. I call my grandmother, God. Her voice is muffled by mud. I tracked it into her house. I'm sorry. I stamped it under my shoes. I walked down the road to her house where rain has made a pool in her backyard. The neighbors meet in that hole in the ground, make O's with their mouths at an ancient tree. I think, how do I get my grandmother out? The tree swallows me down its trunk stomach, and I hear a man sing, God is in his holy temple, as I fall through a static somewhere. <laughs> And that was. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can see that guy in Poltergeist too. Yeah. Saying. <laughs> yeah, God I really like the, the first temple. one better, but but yeah, <laughs> that guy was so scary when I was a kid. He was. <laughs> I hate to digress, but he was scary to me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Your poems have very detailed titles, very intricate. What role should the title play for a poem? Um, I, I definitely think it leads you in to what is going to happen in the poem. Um, I don't necessarily think they all have to be, you know, eye-catching or catchy or like a yes. hook in a song or something like that. But, um, mm-hmm. but they definitely re- lead you down that rabbit hole. Um, I remember when I was doing my MFA, I was like, I started my MFA at New Mexico State, and then I transferred later to Bowling Green State University, which was a wonderful program both were. And I remember when I first started, I was just like, I had like one word titles, and uh, one of the girls in my program was like, you have to stop this. You need need to tell people what the poem is going to be, or at least like, you know, make it more dynamic and stuff. And so I started thinking, she's right. What am I doing? You know, I don't know, like, I don't know that I have to do anything, you know, part of me wants to rebel when someone says you have to do something or stop doing something. But, um, but I think she was right, you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
Share another poem. Share another poem. Sure. Um, this is sort of toward the end song or song. This is called Skinny Dipping, um, and it is about girlhood. It's about being a teenager and hanging out with boys and thinking, you know, questioning whether or not you care if they like you or wanting so bad for them to like you, but then also wanting to just be with your girlfriends. Um, Skinny dipping. We girls love to dip our toes in Green Creek water while we look at boys through a fog veil. And those boys look at us half-cocked, want us small. Do we like it? Do we want to take our clothes off, go all the way in the water, disappear, sirens and scum? The boys play fight in gray dirt, young dogs. They don't pay us any mind. We hold our noses, go down, and our bodies come together, a silver fish, beautiful like a coin. We swim through crushed beer cans and picnic trash. When we come out human again, we gasp for air. Thank you. Wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. back. I'm here with Erin Carlisle, her new book, Magnolia Canopy Otherworld. Erin, is your book available on Amazon.com? It is. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can also go to driftwoodpress.net and get it there. Um, and yeah. I think Bookshop as well. Oh, very nice. You've been writing for a very long time, Ms. Sounds. Yes. Describe <laughs> your relationship with poetry. How has it developed and changed throughout your life? Um, yeah, so again, like I said earlier in the, I, earlier I found like, I have a box of like old poetry from yes. a teenage years, things like that. And go back, going back and reading them, I can see that I'm like grappling with the same kinds of things. Like my brain is trying to like figure things out, you know, but I just don't have the like language or the tools to, to do it in a way that that can reach people or that people can understand or that isn't so insular. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to say universal, not universal, because I don't know about universal, but like that, you know, isn't, it, the craft isn't there. Um, that sounds hoity-toity, but that's, you know, that's so over the years, you know, I've read people's work and that's sort of like, you know, I'm, I've consumed other people's stuff and like, you know, you can't really write in a vacuum. Like when I was doing it as a teenager, I'm trying to grapple with all these things that people have been trying to grapple with, you know, forever. So mm-hmm. I I read people's work. I did, you know, I went to school. I don't necessarily think you have to do an MFA or anything like that, but you definitely need to research and write and find out your place in, in the whole grand scheme of things. Um, and I did a lot of that. And so now I feel like I have, I have a lot of the tools in my tool belt to say what I want to say um, mm. and to craft something that I think other people will respond to. And it's not just okay. me, you know, pouring my feelings out. It's, it is, but it's also something that is a little bit bigger, a little more um, connected. So I think that's sort of how it's changed over the years. Um, but I think I've been a similar person. <laughs> my, I think I've been the same person my whole life. So. 
All right. Well, this question, do you, if you have your MFA, do you also belong to a writing group or community of writers that you share your work with? And if so, who yeah. are they? Yeah. Um, so I I have a lot of uh, poet friends from my MFA, um, and I have a lot of mentors. Um, F. Daniel Resnick, who's a poet, he writes a lot. Of, I don't want to say they're nature poems, not nature, but it's it's definitely rooted in a sort of like an Ohio naturey kind of like mine, but there's more, you know, there's a, a darkness there um, in his work. Um, Rosanna Boswell, she was in uh, my program, and she just released a book, and it's called Hiding in a Thimble. Um, she's amazing, and yeah, just there, yes, I, I do, and I I could rack my brain for all of these people. Um, Rebecca Morgan Frank, again, I've I've been working with her. She's amazing, uh, amazing, amazing poet and a wonderful person, and so giving of her time and her yes. um her connections, everything. She's just a really great human being um, who, who's helped me tremendously. So, yes, definitely. Lots of people. <laughs> oh, very nice. Please share another poem. Okay. Um, this one is called, get to the page, Rabbit Diptych. And it it's in two parts, so I'll pause in between. And... It kind of was born out of the whole um, some of the some of the Me Too stuff that was happening a, a few years ago, and um, definitely sort of a connection to some of these stories about um, comedians and people in the media who, you know, as a woman I look up to and they're men and their art. I love their art, but then you find out things about them. Um, that aren't wonderful and that you, that, that exclude you and also outwardly cause danger to you. Um, it's really painful. So this is called rabbit diptych. I am the rabbit from my heart tied up by the legs. You can break my skin, bunch it around my ankles, twist, pull my fur until I'm raw. Is your knife big enough? Do you see my ex-husbands asleep in the bushes outside my apartment? They dyed my feet blue for luck. I have to put a quarter in a toy machine and hope they pop back out. I know my career is my body, but I'm disappointed because my hunter will not speak to me. Instead, he whispers sorry to the wind while I sit in his hotel room. You looked at me as if you already knew you'd be pulling my fur from your teeth all night black-jawed, salivating. When you pulled out the white wine and not the red, I didn't understand you knew what to pair me with. You hurried me through my chewing. You didn't let me finish my meal. The first time you pushed your fingers through my thin membrane, I was not sure how to react. The second time my body moistened and opened, I even fell face-first into your lap. I wondered which part of me would be a trophy or when you would give up and call me a cab. That was it. <clears throat> wow. What do you hope readers get from encountering your poems? Um, I, de I definitely just want, you know, this first book, and I'm doing, I'm writing other stuff, and it's different, and been the same in a lot of ways but with this one I I definitely wanted to communicate um, you know what what created me as a human being or like what has and then in hopes that you know other people who are dealing with certain things like this would have would have a deep connection with it or yes. see themselves in some way I have like one of my favorite artists of all time is the singer-songwriter Tori Amos. So she's like really inspired everything that I've done. So I like, in a lot of ways, you know, I look up to her and how she is given of herself in that way. And like, I want to do that as well, um, but but in a poetic form and not music. So that's, you know, I want them to take that away. Um, 
but you know, I, I think a lot of the work is political. It's definitely it's personal, but it's political, which you know makes sense. Um, and so if it if it helps somebody understand, you know, what it is like growing up with you know parents who have dealt with drug addiction or poverty, things like that, um, that's wonderful too. So like the personal connection, but then that political um, drive as well. Please share one more. We're almost out of time, but please share one more. Maybe two two more. Please share two more. Two more. more. Okay. (laughs) Let me see. Okay. Um, This one is just a weird little poem called Post Eve, and I'm just thinking about uh, the creation, (laughs) like, biblical creation and I don't you know I don't really have a lot I just put it out there I like it and I put it out there uh all right you are tender when you say to me pull this bone out of my body if you throw me out with the trash I'll leave get this bone appraised take it to pawn my feet one in front of the other my head as it should be downcast see the bone in my hand I will get nothing for it won't be worth the walk. So I stick the bone inside me. I lie down on the asphalt road and listen to distant men. They yell my name. I pull my skin apart, recite a story. My father was once a tree. <laughs> um, and then this one is called The Afterlife of Women. It's the last book, our last poem in the book. Um, and it it's sort of just a ghostly world of a lot of the women and girls that I've known over the years, sort of thinking about them, trying to find them, trying to reach for them, um, trying to pull back those veils and see if anything's there kind of thing. The afterlife of women. For me to stay here with the dead, I have to eat a flesh meal, make the commitment. But for now, I'm a struck chord. I sound through pine woods and the Kentucky. We were all once girls here, wanted to experience other worlds. But now I can't find a woman here among the discarded diaries and pocketbooks. In this place, we all linger, then disintegrate. I think I smell the oldest danger in the air, magnolia on the wind. I think I hear my mother calling get home. That's it. Thank you. Wow. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate you being a poet, or are you content knowing that they're out of your system? Um, I, think, I think getting a book out there in the world is definitely validation. I don't think it's the only way to say I'm a poet. You don't have to have a book or anything like that. But for me, it definitely has made me feel accepted in a way um and i've been able yes. to do readings and bring the books to a lot of people um through virtually of course because of the pandemic but um so i don't think you i don't think a person has to have that to feel validated um i could still call myself a poet and i i would but having it um is a dream come true on it's been you know little girl aaron definitely wanted to have a book in her nerdy eight-year-old self. Yes. (laughs) You know. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) What's next for you creatively? Where do you go from here? Um, I'm, I'm writing. I, I lost my job at the beginning of the pandemic. So my husband and I, we both had to move to California um, where he's from for a little while. And I just took that time and just like, it sort of opened me up creatively to not be in the nine to five, you know, and yes. so, so I put I, a lot of people, it, it was opposite. They couldn't do it. And that's totally fine. That makes sense. But for me, it's something opened up and I just, I have a lot that I'm messing with right now, like editing, revising. And I have this other book that is, um, that's in the work. So there's that. I have some stuff coming out um, in different magazines. Um, so that's what I'm doing creatively. And I am going to apply to a PhD program. So, oh, wow. Yeah, Very, nice. Lot, Very nice. Yeah, there's a lot on the horizon. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. 
I enjoyed hearing your work. Magnolia Thank Canopy you. Otherworld sounds like a fantastic book, and I look forward to purchasing a copy. Again, I want to thank you. I feel that you have a very bright future, and I wish you nothing but the best, as I said earlier. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, have a great evening. And to our listening audience, as I share every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.